Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how you want? <laughs> you have a great show, I'm a big fan. Boing. So what, what, what seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the, in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish, what?! Eight, two, three, four, wiener. Listen, Lebertius, shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. And just like that, we are into the second hour. Welcome aboard. It's the Barbecue Central Show. On this show, we are particularly fascinated with talking about things that are relevant to the industry of live fire cooking, barbecue, grilling, and or otherwise. We just spent two segments with Meathead from AmazingRibs.com talking about grilling or high-heat pizza cooking. Both ways. If you've had it both ways, what do you like? Do you like grilled pizza better where you kind of grill that crust off first and then you put your toppings on it and then go in for the reheat? Or are you a fan of that 2017 rise in high heat pizza oven on your grill or making some implement that goes on your live fire cooker? Do you like it that way? I got to be honest. The Daniel Boone that I have, uh, also I have the Jim Bowie, but the Daniel Boone that I have has been more or less relegated to the pizza oven insert cooking. Now, if I'm not going to do a tremendous amount of barbecue cooking, maybe a butt or two or a couple racks of ribs and that's it, or just uh, maybe 25 or 30 wings, then I will take the pizza oven insert out because really it's not that hard to reassemble to get it back in its normal cooking environment. So I'll rip the guts out and put the normal stuff in, do that in the barbecue or uh, more of a smoke roast, if you will, to coin a phrase from Stephen Reichlin. And then I will undo all that once it's cooled down to put the pizza oven back in there so it's ready to go. That's how I want it to be stationed for use as a pizza oven first, as a smoker second. Then I can retreat to the Jim Bowie if I need to for the traditional smoked or smoke roasting if I want to do that. But it's so fun. And again, my target temperature on that. And again, Meathead asked me, can you put that pizza oven insert on other cookers? I mean, I think no. I think it's made specifically for the inner supports that the Jim Bowie and the Daniel Boone have, which I believe are the same tolerances and measurements, except one's you know longer than the other because one cooker is bigger than the other. But I think conceptually the dimensions are the same. So you can put the pizza oven insert in one or the other, and it's got just little ears that hang off the front and back, and that sits into the channel of where the drip pan would go, and then it sits right on top of that fire uh, the firebox, or the, the uh, what the hell do you call that thing? Burn pot. It's great. 350 degrees is where I live. 325 degrees where I live. On the cooker, that gets me right around 650 degrees or so at the stone. And as I was saying, man, you if you want to say that you cook at 1,000 degrees, then jack the Green Mountain Grill up to 500. You're going to be right around 1,000 degrees at the stone. And you got to be on it. 
And the minute it turns, the minute you pay not as close attention that you should be, it goes wrong real quick. And you can't bring it back. You're like Once it's overshot, you're screwed. It's like overdoing a steak. Once it's gone over, that's it. Can't go back. Can't go back. So be careful. Give yourself a little bit more room to move by cooking a little less hot. I mean, why not? Still to come on the show, Grant Siegel, King Solomon Foods. Also, Terry Roan from uh, the Steak Cook-Off Association, 2018 world champ, by the way. While you're at it, don't forget to follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram and Twitter slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook. Trying to bring you some good content. As I had mentioned before, I will get you a Bubba Burger winner sooner than later. I just kind of lost track of that. My apologies. But again, I appreciate the reviews and ratings that you left me. There's a small handful of you that are in line. For some free bubble burgers and some swag on top of that. Email from John Lindsay. Hey, Greg, my name is John Lindsay. And my competition team's name is All Queued Up. And I'm from Jonesboro, Arkansas. I've emailed you a few times throughout the years, but I'm always a dedicated listener to the program. I just wanted to drop you a quick note and thank you for the attention you have placed on not only the SEA, which we will be talking about, and two, not only in the last segment of the show this night, but to, uh, next week's show as well, but the world of competition stay cooking in general. I always listen intently to any breaking news that may come across the show. When I started out in KCBS Barbecue about four years ago, the first training I was able to get was the roundtable discussions from the Barbecue Central show. As a new competitive cook, those episodes were invaluable to me. Of course, I listened to all of them over and over again. It was a help, and I really appreciate you broadcasting them. Now, fast forward four years to 2018, I'm no longer cooking on the KCBS circuit, but I'm a full-blown Steak Cook-Off Association Steak Cook with right at 35 contests this year and still counting. 35 contests! Woo! Go ahead, John. Go ahead. Um, lost my place. I have cooked and placed in seven states this year. We are ranked number four in the Pelicans points chase. We've just come off a triple contest this weekend and going to do four contests next weekend. Then on to the SCA World Championships. Love the SCA, but most importantly, we love competitive cooking, and it all started with me listening to the Barbecue Central show. I just wanted to send you a quick email and let you know that I appreciate the time and the effort that you put into the show. Best regards, John W. Lindsay II. John, thank you. Good, sir. My man, you were in, let me go back, 35 contests. Then you did a triple so that puts you up to 38. Then you were doing four more. Is that right? Four contests in a weekend? Wow. A triple contest. Then, So you got in an extra seven in a two-week time frame. That puts you up to 42 before you hit 
the World Championships. That's 43 events in a year. I'm no mathematician or a calendar person, but there's only 52 weeks in a year. John, you are crushing. Number four overall at the time of that email, the Pelicans points chase. Yeah, look at you. I'm very happy that I could be of whatever assistance the show has provided to you, not only when you started out in the KCBS. By the way, you're not the only one that has left the friendly confines of competition barbecue for steak cooking. There's many great points of access to competitive steak cooking, no matter what sanctioning body you're doing it right now. That's why KCBS rolled out National Grilling Society. Cut down on the cost to compete, barrier to entry. That's what we've always talked about over the last handful of years with competition barbecue. People feel like they got to keep up with the Joneses now. Oh, dear. Reading a text message that has nothing to do with the show, and I am not happy. Steak cook-off, no matter what the sanctioning body or competitive steak cooking, I should say, not the favor. 200 bucks to enter? Is it 225 250 maybe? You have the opportunity, if you have the best steak of the day, to take home a cool grand, so that's like 750 grand net to the good. You don't have to have $10,000 grills like some people think you need in competition barbecue, and then let alone... The toy haulers and the 40-foot motorhomes or whatever else is you think you might need. Because that's what you see some of those dudes pulling around. Do you have the money for that? That's the other important thing. If you don't have the money for that, don't get into that. I believe John Solberg had a price of $129 or $120. For that Bakerstone pizza oven insert, if I could just circle back to that for a second. So it was well under the 225 or 250 that Meathead was talking about. So if that's something that you want to look into, 150 bucks or less, I think it's safe to say that he retracted the message out. Gino Mayans is chanting for Grant. He's going to be up here in just a minute, buddy. Stick around for. Grant Siegel from King Solomon Foods. Looking forward to getting to know Grant. John Dawson weighing in. Back on the perfect cheese blend. Fontina is almost like Italian Gruyere. But a touch less fatty and a bit more nutty. Props for the no Z in Boise, of course. I know my enunciations. You gotta speak well. Speaking well is not a sign of snobbery or that you think you're better than somebody else. It means you know how to speak well. Don't be ashamed of that. Speak well. Speak often, speak well. I'm going to talk to you quickly about Cook Shack. They make smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience, whether you barbecue in the backyard, on the competition scene, or in a five-star dining facility. Cook Shack has a unit that will do the job, and with a full line of barbecue sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks... It's the perfect one-stop shop. Cook Shack strives to be your barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how-to videos, two blogs, smoking, grilling 101s, and a video cooking classroom. Check out their website at cookshack.com or follow them on Instagram, 
Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, and Google+. Get advice and share your passion for barbecue on their world-class barbecue forum. Still have one of those. Cook Shack pellet-fired smokers, the choice of champs, because they were designed by a champ, Ed Fast Eddie Morton. The FEC 100, PG 1000, always customer favorites. The PG 1000 can actually double as a smoker in the grill. Low and slow, hot and fast, the pellet grill line gives you the most for your money. Now, maybe you don't like the normal Cook Shack stuff or the pellet cookers. Fine. How about a, a uh, residential electric smoker? They're only the number one smoker in the industry. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make in a Cook Shack. Passion and dedication drives Cook Shack's manufacturing with quality always being the top priority. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. Call 800-423-0698. That's 800-423-0698 or visit cookshack.com. Grant Siegel from King Solomon Food coming up out of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Show giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue, a man actually named Meathead, the author of a barbecue Bible, bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield. Go to smokinwithsmithfield.com right now to sign up for the 2019 Committed Cooks Program, $25 shipping charge. Get you a bunch of really cool stuff from Smithfield. Well over 25 bucks, I might add. Now, if you're somebody that puts on a barbecue contest or you are a past beneficiary of the Smithfield Grant Program, you can also sign up there, put in your application, that's going till the end of the month, smokingwithsmithfield.com. That's smokingwithsmithfield.com. All right, a month or so ago, we had Pat LaFrieda on. We talked about the meat purveying business. And tonight, I'm picking that topic back up with the vice president of sales at King Solomon Foods, which is located in New York City. So let's go ahead and race to the Trader Grills hotline and welcome first timer to the show, Grant Siegel. Grant, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Uh, we all good on both ends? Yeah, I can hear you. If you can hear me, we can get rolling. Great. Great. I can hear you. Just want to say before I, we start, I just want to say thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I found out about you from the Pat LaFrieda interview, and you know, I, I listened to the whole thing, and it was truly great. And I said to myself, man, I got I to gotta hit Greg up, and I got to get on this some way or another. Well, I'm glad you made time for us and that we could get you on to talk about it. So uh, before we get into some of the, the business dealings and the ins and outs that you're dealing with every day, Grant, um, you know, maybe that elevator version of how King Solomon Foods uh, came to be and where you're at present day. Gotcha. So I don't mean to correct you on, on your own show, but we are based in Brooklyn. Um, Bay Ridge, we're in the Brooklyn Wholesale Me Market. And uh, that's kind of the basis of our business. You know, we thrive on being Brooklyn bred and Brooklyn born. 
and um, that's very important to us. The business, the concept of the business first started in 1920 when my great-great-grandfather, Charles Solomon, he was actually unloading produce and, and vegetables, and someone came up to him and said, hey, you know, there's an opportunity in poultry. The, the crates are much heavier. You can get into this and make a little bit more money, and, you know, I think we all agree that was the best decision he ever made. Um, the business first started really moving poultry and we, and by 1928, um, my great grandfather partnered up with his brother and they started a business called Solomon brothers. And they had two locations in 14th meat market, which is now meatpacking and Fort green place, which is currently right across the street from the Barclays center. So they were truly in the heart of meatpacking and the heart of Brooklyn. Um, due to complications, my great-grandfather passed away, and that's when my grandfather, Arthur Solomon, joined on. And he decided that he wanted to take the business solely in Brooklyn. So he, he kind of shifted and did his own thing. And at that time, in the you know 50s, we were still solely doing poultry. Um, we had a very nice business. And at the, at the time, you know, they were solely content doing poultry. And, uh, you know, at, at that time, poultry was a hot commodity and uh, they made a very nice living. Um, it wasn't until the mid-1970s that my uncle, Stephen Solomon, who's currently our president and CEO, joined the force and he kind of took it over at 19 years old. You know, I'm 23 <laughs> and I, I, I'm just starting this. And, and to think back and, and this, this, at the time, a kid just being thrown into a, a meat market and having to tell grown men. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, I only hear stories, but the, what went, what went on back then in the meat markets was just absolute savagery. And so from then we really transitioned into besides poultry, beef, of course, pork, obviously poultry and provisions. And um, so that's kind of where we are at this point. We're the oldest wholesalers of poultry in Brooklyn, but we're also one of the oldest wholesalers in general in Brooklyn. Um, so one of our oldest accounts, just to kind of talk about some of the accounts we have is Junior's Famous Restaurant. I mean, we've had that before you and I were born combined. Um, and in addition, we had Peter Luger's and we were selling them chicken. And so, you know, people always say, oh, you know, what's your most famous restaurant you work with? And obviously, first thing I say is Peter Luger's. And but it's just funny to think that it all started with some chicken. But now, you know, we provide them with their fresh hanging short loins. And, um, you know, they're one of, our, one of our best accounts. And I'm very proudly to say that we work with them. So when you were providing poultry for that long, was the addition to the product's portfolio out of necessity? Or did you just want to get into more of the, of the segments to sell with it? I think it was a little bit of both, and I, I think that at the time, obviously, I, I you know, I, I wasn't there, but I, I think that they realized that, hey, you know, the more things you can add on a truck, the better, and that motto still uh, holds principle for us right now. Uh, we're always trying to transition into doing more, adding more things on a truck. What else can I provide to the customer? Because at the end of the day, back then, they had their chicken guy, their pork guy, their cheese guy, their oil guy, but you know how it is now the less calls we can make, the better. So I think that's really what my grandfather and my uncle realized was the more stuff that we can provide to our customers, the more business we can get. And obviously that model has stuck with many companies. And you see broadliners such as Cisco, PFG, 
uh, U.S. foods. And ultimately, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on our beef, but we really see ourselves going in, in that direction. And, um, you know, I think that's the direction a lot of these uh, companies are, are going to. Grant Siegel joining me here on the show, the director of sales for King Solomon Foods in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Grant, have you always been in the family business? I mean, you're 23 years old, so I mean, I'm, you know, no uh, smart guy, but I mean, if you went to college, you're probably just fresh out of college anyway, so maybe you don't have a lot of uh, professional experience around you other than maybe uh, dealing with the family business. So did you venture out at all, or were you always interested in sticking with that? Yeah, so I, I, w- I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, and I had always known about my family business down in Brooklyn, but I really didn't understand what was going on. And I, I, I had an idea that these guys worked really hard. They, they woke up really early, but it wasn't until I was 15 years old that I went to work for, for three days. And those were the three toughest days of my childhood. You know, waking up 1.30 in the morning, getting in the car with my cousin, putting the jacket on, driving down to Brooklyn from Long Island, and, you know, just being a lugger, getting all the boxes, putting them on the hand truck, pushing. I mean, I, 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 you know, I had never done anything like that. So, but after that, the next 10 years, I had no interaction with food service meat whatsoever. And it wasn't until I went to college where I, I went to school in Colgate University, upstate New York, mm-hmm. uh, went, on a football, went on a football scholarship, played right tackle. And it, it wasn't until I met some, you know, made some good friends and acquaintances who lived in New York City where they're like, oh, wait, you, you work with Peter Lou and, and so people started thinking it was cool. And I was just like, I, I mean, I, I had never thought it was cool. I, I had never thought much about it. And so once I kind of started understanding that, hey, you know, this is something kind of cool and it's, our, it's, it's in my blood, I really wanted to look further. And my, after football, um, I realized that I wasn't pursuing it at a professional level. And many of my friends were looking at areas such as finance, insurance. And I realized, you know, that, that wasn't for me. And I had an opportunity here to be a focal point in a family business. And there is... The town of Hamilton, which Colgate in, is in, is a very small town. Colgate itself only has 3,000 students in the town itself, maybe, you know, 5,000. 5, but there was a lovely hotel and a lovely um, country club. And I said, I'm going to sell those two locations um, to kind of see if I can do this. Because obviously New York City was a whole different ballgame. Sure. But I said to myself, if I can, if I can sell, you know, a nice, two nice establishments without knowing anything about about product and let's just test my ability as a salesman. So, you know, with help from my, my family members and, you know, we, we set, I set meetings up and, you know, with the GMs of, of the hotel and the country club. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm starting to be <laughs> these two locations on my campus. And it, it just was kind of a whirlwind. And after that, uh, I moved to New York, at which I currently live and just started working for the family business. But the first couple of months wasn't me just running on the streets in New York City and selling to, to, to these high-class establishments because at the end of the day, I have the fact that I'm young, which in this industry is a disadvantage sure. in, in some aspects because at the end of the day, a chef is giving me the keys to their, to their livelihood. If I don't provide for them, then they're not going to be able to provide to, to their clients and thus, the restaurant is going to go down. So I take a lot of pride in knowing that, you know, someone's livelihood, their family, the way they feed their kids is, is on my shoulders. 
So before I realized, before I said I, I can go out and sell, I had to learn the product. I had to learn what I was going to talk about. My my offensive line coach in college, I, I, are we allowed to curse on the show or no? Yeah, it's the internet, so you can say whatever the fuck you want. Uh, okay, uh, my my coach in college used to always look at look at the players when they had a holding and or a, a penalty, and they tried to make an excuse. He'd look them in the eye and say, "You can't bullshit a bullshitter." <laughs> and I realized I, I wasn't going to bullshit these chefs. You know, I, being young, they, they they would see right through me. So for the first three four months, five days a week, getting on the N train at 14th Street, two in the morning, going down to Brooklyn, and just standing in the cut shop for you know ten to twelve hours and just watching every different portion being cut our facility in in brooklyn in the brooklyn wholesale meat market is a twenty-five thousand square foot facility um you know we we have so many different products from pork chicken beef any brand you could really think of and i'll get into this a little bit later but what gives me the ability to go up against a lot of people who have a, a brand name issue like a Lafrida, like a Driscoll, like a DeBraga, is that, you know, we're buying directly from the source. So a lot of their secondhand, thirdhand, we're buying direct, which enables me to offer my clients cost-efficient rates. But going back to our facility, we have a very large facility with, you know, you, you walk in and it's like the old, the old meat plants, like Rocky. There's just hanging meat everywhere. And I'll get into that uh, as well. But we have the hanging meat, and then you have the cut shop, and you have your freezers, and you have your dry age room. And so for a kid walking in the first time, I mean, it's a little overwhelming. But, you know, we had a gentleman at the time who was leading me through things and showing me, you know, different cuts of beef, pork. And, and I mean, I didn't know what an airline breast uh, piece of chicken was. You know, I didn't know, I, I didn't know a lot of things, and I still don't know a lot of things. I mean, I didn't have the... I didn't have the, I'm not going to say it's a luxury, but I didn't have, you know, I wasn't Pat Lafrida sweeping my, my grandfather's butcher shop at 10 years old. You know, I didn't have that. And, you know, it, it, it really helped them. And I see why, you know, he propelled and, you know, Pat, I have the utmost praise for that guy. Everything he's done. I, I, I try to emulate. I mean, his, his book is on, is, is on my coffee table as we speak, but, so I really had to learn the product. And and so after a couple months, four or five months, that's when I ventured down into the city. And, you know, obviously at the time, I still didn't know much, but just the competitive nature that I have from being a Division One college athlete and the charisma that I, I, I think I have kind of enabled me to, you know, meet chefs and put my name out there. But, you know, it, being in sales in New York City is very tough. Because the city is cold place, man. They don't. No one has sympathy for you. But at the end of the day, you can walk out of gang. I, I went to a, re- a steakhouse. I'm not going to say the name. I introduced myself. Introduced my cause. The gentleman looked at me and said, "Get the fuck out." I said, "Sir, you know, I, I don't mean to cause trouble. Here's my card. Just please." He looked at me, took, put my card up in the air, and, and ripped it. So, you, you know, and that that was two months into the job. And a lot of people with that, they, would, they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know how to cope with that situation. But at the end of the day, for me, I walk out and I just look around. All you have to do is look to your right, look to your left. You're going to find 10 different restaurants. So there's so many places. There's so many opportunities. And so kind of trial by error is how I've been progressing at what I like to think is a rapid rate. Uh, in my first year, you know, working for the family business, I did over a million dollars in sales. And um, I looked to only progress 
going forward. Um, but, you know, like I said, I have a lot to learn. And, um, but I do have a great foundation. Um, you know, this is solely family-based. My uncle, like I said, since 19th and waking up 2 a.m., every morning getting down there, opening up the, opening up the shop, you know, take, writing down weights, making sure everyone's in order. Uh, and my cousin, he's, t- he's 30 years old. His name is Zach Solomon. And he really runs the show down there. And both of them have been instrumental in, in giving me confidence to go out and do what I do best. And that's putting myself out there. And I'm not scared to talk to anyone. Um, you know, growing up from a young age, my parents always put me in a position where I would see different things and experience different things. So I'm not new to, to nice safe houses. I'm fine in walking into a Wolfgang's, um, bypassing everyone in there and going straight to the chef and introducing myself. And I, that's something that can mask the, the lack of knowledge. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and um, I know that soon enough, you know, when, when I have more experience, that the two together will lead to um, great success. Uh, Grant, uh, a couple minutes left here, and I appreciate the time this evening. Um, you know, I mean, you're a younger guy, so this generation is obviously known for being uh, maybe stereotypically in in a wrong way uh, tech savvy. But are you able to leverage some tech to help you and King Solomon Food grow? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when when, we, when I first got here, we had zero social media platform. Um, and that's something that I'll admit it, it is put put us behind the eight ball a little bit. But I started our Instagram up, started some some social media networks, and it, it has helped. I've you know reached out to many different people on social media. For example, a gentleman I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. His name is Johnny Prime. Uh, that's his handle on Instagram, and mm-hmm. you know he's um, a steak aficionado. He goes to all the steakhouses in New York, and I introduce them my, it's very similar to the way i introduced myself to you and i just said hey look I, I have a cool story i have a cool facility i'd love for you to come and you know he wrote a whole thousand word article about me and, and my company and that's something i send to every person i, I write an email to or i, I want to work with you know i always reference that that um article in addition though what's funny is that many of the top you know purveyors they have instagram accounts such as you know masters pat lafrida and i'm not sure who's running these accounts but you know they tag all of the restaurants that they're working with so when i first started i'm like all right how how am i going to figure out where my competition is all i had to do was look at instagram and they told me and you know i was following all these different people and seeing where i could go and, and try to leverage that and it and it was funny because obviously the first person I followed was Pat Lafrida and trying to, you know, poach him a little bit. And one day I went to his profile and I couldn't see anything. And I said, what's going on? It says, this user is no longer, no longer here. And I said to myself, did I just get blocked by Pat Lafrida? I'm blocked. Like, to them? <laughs> blocked. Blocked. And when he, and when he, when he blocked me, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, all right, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Go. So, so it was, a, it was a funny, cool moment. But um, yeah, social media is a great thing, and I think all all, all purveyors are using it to kind of step get get in front of one another. Uh, Grant, do you see a meat trend coming in the next twelve months that maybe nobody has any visibility on, or it's just kind of touching off right now? Um, you know, one thing that I guess I would say is. 
starting to pick up is the business of the fresh meat. And reason being is because every day and every week and every month that goes by, more people are stopping their fresh meat program. And we're one of the few purveyors that still offer fresh, prime, short loins, strip loins, whatever you name it. So I think that the more time goes by, the more distributors are canceling their or shutting down their fresh meat programs. I think that that business and that, that niche is going to explode and whoever still has it is going to, you know, reap the benefits of it. Brent Siegel is the director of sales, sorry, the vice president of sales at King Solomon Foods. By the way, the website, if you want to check it out, kingsolomonfoods.com, proudly located in Brooklyn, New York. All right, so correct me here, Grant, as you did on my show. Isn't, I mean, isn't Brooklyn part of New York City? It's one of the five boroughs, right? Uh, I would say Brooklyn is a part of New York, but Brooklyn isn't. When when you say New York City, I would say you're referencing Manhattan, and Brooklyn and Manhattan are two different uh, locations. Are, are but, we honestly, uh, are we also I'm getting into? I'm, I'm on your show. I'm not Italian. I'm Sicilian, kind of a thing, right? I get it. <laughs> hey, it's your world. It's your world. I'm just living in it. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Grant Siegel joining me here on the show. Grant, I wish we had more time, but the good news is we can come back on and plow through the rest of this stuff. But I appreciate you making time for the show tonight, my man. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I just want to give a shout out to my family and uh, my friend Gino, who's, who's tuning in. So thank you, Gino, for listening. No doubt. There he is, Grant Siegel, VP of Sales, King Solomon Foods. Nailing it right out of the box. Love it. I love the Brooklyn pride there, by the way. I mean, you're talking to a New York guy, not New York City, <clears throat> but, you know. Saratoga Springs ain't too far. <laughs> Meanwhile, great story about Pat LaFrieda blocking Grant Siegel. Block! Block! You can't read my Instagram. That's when you know you're making some noise. I dig it. I like that from a sales guy. I mean, I'm, I'm sales guy by day, right? Love that. There's nothing better than when your competition sends is trying to send a form email but oops, they didn't blind their contacts. They put them in the carbon copy. All 85. You know, they're going right into my database, that's for sure. All right, thanks again to Grant Siegel from King Solomon Foods. KingSolomonFoods.com. Check them out. and We'll have him back on again soon. Big Papa Smokers, by the way, the number one online shop for all things barbecue. Their curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies. Get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Whether you're in the backyard or a competition pro, they have something for everybody. You know they have the popular rubs like Sweet Money and Cattle Pod and Cash Cow. They have that partnership with Simply Marvelous Barbecue. That's known as the West Coast Offense. A lot of competition teams seeing success with that. They own Granny's Barbecue Sauce. Aside from the premium selection of all that great stuff, they also offer the very best pellet, charcoal, and wood cookers available on the market today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out that Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill that Meathead referenced in the first hour. Big Papa's is the exclusive Mac dealer, even offers special packages. Not a fan of pellet smokers? All right. Check out the old Hickory Ace BP, the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on a competition trailer. Then you have that M Grill that a lot of the backyard enthusiasts are using. A lot of those people using them at the steak cook-off this past weekend. Not sure what grill you need? How about this? Call 877-828-0727 and ask all your questions. Or shop their selection online, bigpapasmokers.com. 
That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A-Smokers.com. Your 2018 SEA World Champion, Terry Rowan, out of the break. Stick around. Be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. This segment brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard is fully integrated with both, constantly learning new skills. You can find out more by visiting fireboard.com or you can call them 816-945-2232 and let them know the Barbecue Central Show sent you. Hey, the Steak Cook-Off Association had its culminating event this past weekend. The SCA World Championships went off in Fort Worth, Texas, and walking away with the World Championship title was Terry Rowan. So let's head to the Traeger Grills hotline and welcome back, friend of show, Terry Rowan. Terry, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Great, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure to have you, Terry. Again, by the way, for those that are paying attention, Terry was on at the very beginning of 2017, and we were talking about, at that point, I think just a, a, a local SEA event that you had won. And fast forward, you know, a year and well, almost two years, I guess, depending on if we're really evaluating the ca- uh, the calendar or not. Now a 2018 world champion, so congratulations on that. So quick background uh, on you again, Terry, for the folks that are just tuning in for the first time or haven't gotten the 2017 archives. How'd you get into barbecue, and I guess specifically, when were you introduced to competitive steak cooking? Um, I uh, got into uh, competition barbecue cooking about uh, eight to uh, ten years ago, uh, and uh, been doing steak competition. Uh, this is the fourth full year. Um <laughs> And competing in the uh, SCA and being a member uh, in that organization. So, how do you qualify for the 2018 World Championships? <clears throat> um, to qualify for the championship, there's two ways. Um, one, you can win a uh, uh, promoted competition throughout the year that they have very, very many of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you win that, uh, that you get your golden ticket to the world championship, or you can get to the world championship on an at-large bid. So throughout the year, if you've accumulated, they'll take the top 10 in points, uh, of individuals that have not actually won a particular competition. So did you qualify, did you get the golden ticket by winning an event or did you get the golden ticket through the points? Uh, yes, we got the golden ticket uh, by winning an event in uh, Perry, Oklahoma. Uh, that was our first. When was that? What like what time of the year? Yeah, that was early June. Hmm. 
uh, when, when that took place. Had you cooked a number of events prior to that? I mean, I guess you can, if you listen to this show, uh, not you specifically, but you know, I'm just talking generally, uh, the SCA typically shows up once a month. I've really seen the interest uh, in SCA, of course, but you see the interest in competitive steak cooking in general growing. There's a couple different sanctioning bodies along with SCA right now. But um, it, how hard is it to win a steak cook-off event, uh, and I'm not even talking about the world championships, obviously that's a whole different monster, but when you show up, I mean, it's so inviting. The barrier to entry is very low. The cost to get in is very low. You don't have to have these motorhomes and big $10,000, $12,000 jambo pits like a lot of these people want to toy around with when it comes to the competitive barbecue world. Is it harder, do you think, to win a steak event than it is a barbecue competition? Um, in, in some ways, Greg, yes, uh, they're just, uh, they're two different animals, uh, at the, at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> barbecue, you're usually cooking a minimum of three meats in uh, KCBS competition. You know, you're cooking four meats, uh, steak, really, you can just show up, pay, you know, pay your entry fee for the steak cook off and just cook steak only. Uh, <clears throat> there's a. A uh, young man this year uh, for the 2018 season that not only did he win the points chase in stake, the SCA started a another category with a points chase, and that was all the ancillary categories, whether it be appetizers, one-bite challenge, hot dog, grilled cheese, anything with a jalapeno, et cetera. <clears throat> He won the points chase for that, and that man's name is Chuck Edwards, and I would really like to call him out and congratulate him hmm. on a huge feat. I mean, the young man cooked 46 comps this year, uh, and I think about 43 of those he was doing appetizers as well. Terrible. So, yes, it's, he can make it as challenging as you would like for it to be. Terry Rowan joining me here on the show. Um, I guess for the folks that aren't familiar with the World Championships themselves, that this isn't just like a normal one-off, one-day event. This is a whole two-day process where you have to qualify to get into the final finals, correct? That is correct. All right, so how do you wind up day one in order to get into the final day? Well, if we back up to the 2000, in the 2018 season, we started the month of June with a grand total of eight points. And we cooked 25 comps uh, by the end of September and had accumulated 143 points, so an additional 135 points from June through September. We did that by winning Perry, Oklahoma. Goes very next weekend to Bearden, Arkansas, and win a doubleheader, which was huge for us. We set a record uh, with three wins in a row. And I thought, okay, we're on to something. From there, uh, I decided, well, let's test and see if our recipe will work in extremely large crowds and with 100 teams plus. So we go to Edinburgh, Texas, and uh, win that 109 teams. So I thought, okay, we've got something here. We're headed down the right path. And then uh, cooked uh, steak cook-off in Larned, Kansas, and helping those people out at their, their fundraiser. Corey Johnson was a tremendous promoter. And then go to Larned, Kansas, uh, to the Lindbergs and Brett Merriam 
up there. And so we won both those in Kansas. And wow. that, that tied us with the SCA record for number of wins in a year. <clears throat> then on into uh, early September, mid-September, I should say, uh, we went, uh, they have a double, they have a double cook on a Saturday and a Sunday uh, in Grapevine, Texas. So we won Saturday, which helped us break the record. And then the last weekend on that Friday night, we won again in Carrollton, which gave us eight wins oh. for the year wow. going into the championship. So we got hot at the right time and uh, <clears throat> really developed some consistency and uh, took a little tweaking here and there in our process, but uh, we were very, very fortunate this year, and a lot of luck went with it. Terry, on the first day at the World Championships, was it first 10 that move on, or like how, how many move on to that final, final day? Well, uh, I thought uh, Brett and Ken came up with a, uh, a tremendous idea, and uh, <clears throat> so instead of going in and a one-day cooking, you're competing against, uh, it's 182 teams there. Hmm. They divided the 182 into four groups. So you reached in the bag, you pulled out your chip, and there were four different colored chips. So I believe there was red, white, green, and blue. Mm-hmm. And I happened to draw uh, a blue chip. So basically you're looking about 45 teams per per color chip, and that was the teams that you cooked against. And then you had to be the top 10 for that color chip to advance to the final round on Sunday. And uh, I was, once again, lucky. I drew blue chip number lucky 13. You, you believe 13 is a lucky number? Well, it sure was for me, Greg. I believe it is, too. I have them tattooed on my wrist. A lot of people think I'm a fool, <laughs> but I think 13 is a very lucky number for uh, reasons that I can say for a different day, different time. But um, so when you get into the final day and you're called as, well, I, I would assume they hold true. Do they call numbers first and then you're kind of revealed as you walk up to the stage matching a, like a ticket when you find out the overall, or do they do it a different way? Uh, no, that's exactly correct. Yeah. It's a blind, double blind judging. Um, you, there's no ticket attached to your, to your box. They, uh, they have a, a ticket that's uh, that you take half of it. The other ticket remains with an envelope with the card in there that goes to the judging table, and then you're uh, scored on um, your appearance is first. Your doneness is second. So your SCA rep will cut the stake basically in half to show what the doneness is to make sure that you're at a medium doneness. Uh, Next, they're going to judge you on texture of the meat, and they're going to give you a taste score, and then they're going to give you an overall impression score. And then from there, they announced uh, the top 10, starting with 10th up, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be the last number called. Terry, from a, a judging aspect, and this gets a little bit into the weeds, but when you turn in a steak, is that steak passed around the table of judges and everybody, like, uh, do they, there's like a, a table captain cut into the steak for the visual uh, scores, and then everybody gets a piece of the steak in order to evaluate the rest? Uh, 
That is correct. The SCA rep cuts it in half for the doneness. Mm-hmm. Then each uh, judge uh, cuts off a piece of the steak to taste. And uh, obviously that's where you're getting your texture and taste score. And uh, followed by the overall impression score. Isn't everybody trying to get the rib cap? <laughs> that's the best part of that the ribeye steak, right? That's exactly um Early on, we got trained and with the round disc that the SCA puts in the trays where they can turn that, where that spinalis is facing the judges. Hmm. And, yes, that's the best part of the ribeye steak by far. Uh, so the obvious question that everybody wants to know is let's have the step-by-step process on how you cook that award-winning world championship steak. Because I want to replicate that thing in my backyard this weekend as best I can. Well, um, I think uh, on your show just a little earlier, you were talking about grills. Uh, I mean, there are several grills on the market. And I think uh, to be successful in the steak cooking competition world, you have to start, regardless of the brand of grill you have, is grill grates. Brad Barrett has made an awesome product Mm -hmm. and sells it and it's available to even your backyard homeowners uh, to use on gas grills, whatever they decide to do. We happen to use a PK grill because we think it's the far superior grill on the market today. Terry, are you uh, using the PK original or the 360? No, I use the classic. Okay. The original. Um, You know, from there, we... uh, uh, saw a young man at a cook-off this year was using a uh, pellet grill. I'll leave the name out of it. Uh, and uh, it malfunctioned. He was having issues, and um, he ended up uh, having to use another gentleman's PK, and he won the event. Wow. So I think there's a lot to be said about the PK. Uh, you can, if you really work at it, you can uh, control your fire. A PK grill any grill, as far as that goes, is no different than a Jambo uh, smoker or uh, any any of those big brands. It's all about fire management, heat management, knowing when to start your fire, uh, knowing when you you put those grates on, when it's going to be at the correct temp, et cetera. And uh, also, it's it's learning your grill and knowing that when you want to try to get that medium doneness and you're at... 117, 118 degrees, you can't just shut that lid and walk away from it because if you really learn that grill, you'll know that that can come up 15 degrees in mere seconds. Yeah, That's what grill grates brings to the table. Um, that, that would, I firmly believe in PKs, even, even for the backyard. I mean, don't be lazy, use charcoal. And uh, are you a, PK. are you a B and B guy? Um, not particularly right now. We're uh, we're we're working on something with B and B. But yes, we do use their products. Is that what you used this past weekend, or did you use somebody else? Uh, no, we use B and B. It's Just... a good, long-lasting, hot-burning briquette. Uh, their lump charcoal is awesome product. I can't say enough good about their their lump. We we like to mix the briquettes with the lump. 
So that's an interesting point because, you know, I've often thought from a searing standpoint, the lump would give you that higher heat in order to to get where you want. But then I've talked to a number of the competitive steak guys that say, you know, it's I can see where you would think that, but really it's the briquette that you can really control more. It's a unit of heat measurement because everyone is the same, blah, blah, blah. And you mix the two. So do, do you find that sometimes you you get higher temperatures than others because of that lump, or are you able to, to mitigate any real peaks and valleys because of, uh, I guess, A, the product, but you have become accustomed to working it? Well, I like my chimneys full of lump and briquettes two hours before I want to start cooking. And uh, then that gives me the opportunity for the coals to really get good and hot, settle down. I'll take an infrared thermometer. I'll check the temp on the grates because the, at that point, the charcoal is evenly spread out in the, uh, in the grill. And uh, I will shift or move the, uh, uh, the charcoal based on the temperature readings I get that I would prefer to cook on. What's your, like, what great temperature are you shooting for? I've seen some teams in that mid six to 700. Do you have a preference? Mm, I think uh, about 650 works really good for what we do and the product that we turn out. Uh, from a, a seasoning standpoint, Terry, do you use something that's like out on the market right now, or have you been able to put together a, a Terry Rowan concoction special? Well, we have a concoction special. Primarily what we use is uh, barbecue extreme Texas dust and Texas rib ranger steak seasoning, and uh, we use a blend of those in our recipe. What's your target temp to pull off at? I mean, if you're shooting for a medium, and then I, I would assume you're accounting for some type of uh, carryover percentage, maybe you know five degrees or so. So, like, are you ripping off at like one thirty-five or so to to get to that one forty range, or are you a, a little higher or lower than that? Uh, about one thirty-five. Yeah, and, and then what about like a finishing sheen, or do you put like a pat of butter on it, or is it? I mean, it seems like the more this sport grows, the more intricate things become, just like it was with competition barbecue, although it seems to have ramped up a little bit quicker in the State Cook-Off Association or, or the competitive state cooking world. So do you have like a clarified butter thing that you brush on just for like a glisten or uh, to make that meat lay down a little bit? What's your end process? Yes, we use a, a uh, butter that uh, is a clarified stuff and... Uh, from there, yes, we use just straight butter for a shake. Hmm. Um, uh, is this the biggest SCA event that you have won to date? I, I don't think you have any other world titles up your sleeve here, but I would imagine from a competitive stake standpoint, this is kind of the, the high water mark at the current time. Uh, yes, sir. I would say um, uh, it's a memory of a lifetime. It's a lifetime accomplishment. Um, a lot of friends, supporters, and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of people that helped me uh, get to where I am in the cooking world today. And you know, uh, we I still do barbecue competitions as well. Seeing how you were trending, as you had mentioned, you had started out at eight points, middle of the year. 
you end up winning eight events, you take down the 2018 World Championship title. That seems to be the icing on the cake for... So, by the way, if I'm mistaken, please correct me, but I believe you uh, amassed the highest total points on that second day of cooking as well when you earned that World Championship. Yes, sir, that was... uh... That was kind of a weird deal that happened on Sunday. I, uh, I, uh, of course, the final 40, you, you draw a chip, this number, and that's the order in which you pick out your stakes. And uh, you go through one round, and then they do what they call a reverse snake. And so number 40 picks first on the second round. And and I, I happened to find this one particular stake that I really loved and couldn't believe that I missed it on the first round. And uh, believe it or not, our second pick steak is what we ended up using. Mm-hmm. And man, the the cut of meat was for both steaks was just awesome, melt in your mouth, and uh, it really did us right uh, on that. And it was just a it was just a picture perfect steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't ask for anything better. And the the meat that cut of meat uh, cooperated with our cooking style very well. So, Terry, do you have any, how it all went down. Do you have any sponsors that you want to mention? Um, well, yes, Lone Star Beer is my primary sponsor. Um, my other two sponsors that we have today are Barbecue Extreme and uh, Texas Rib Rangers. And without the three of them support, we could not have traveled and competed in 25 state cook-offs in the regular season. And and do what we love and enjoy. Um, and uh, we're looking to uh, uh, maybe get us a grill sponsor for this coming year and uh, go from there. Last question, Terry, and I appreciate the time tonight. Were you surprised that uh, Johnny Joseph made an announcement that he was going to be retiring from competitive stake? Yeah, I, yes, I was, uh, to answer your question. Uh, I think Johnny likes cooking steak and competing too much. So we'll, we'll see what Johnny, uh, what the future brings for him. Where are you going to be competing at next? Uh, this Saturday, we will be competing in Colleyville, Texas, which is really just right north of Fort Worth, Texas. He is. Uh, is this a barbecue or is it? are you back to steak right away? No, we're going to run steak uh, probably for three more comps, and then we're going to do a steak barbecue combo at the end of uh, November. He is Terry Rowan, and your 2018 World Championship Steak Cook-Off Association title holder. Terry, really appreciate you coming on tonight and recapping the big weekend. Congratulations again. You bet, Greg. Thank you for having us on the show again. You got it. There he is, your 2018 SCA World Freaking Champion, Terry Rowan. You can get in touch with the show by sending us via the Traeger Grills hotline. Yummy. One of these days, I'm going to get that transition right. You'll see. By the way, if you were wondering, if you don't know the rules for the World Championship State Cook-Off Association, how much do you win? With that world championship stake, how about 10 grand, Polly? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good payday. 10 Gs. Hey, the barbecue guru has always believed 
that cooking should be simple and fun because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control, greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature and let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef or barbecue pitmaster. With minimal effort, you now have oven-like precision at the grill and can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. All you have to do is visit their website, bbqguru.com. That's bbqguru.com, or give them a call, 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. A little bit of breaking news, as it was announced on social media, that Dr. Barbecue's restaurant has a firm date of October 17th. So we will see if that continues to hold. I believe it was the 13th when Ray was on last week. So it's creeping back, but it looks like the 17th is the date. All right, stick around. We'll be right back to wrap the show. This is Bobby. And this is Jennifer. And we're from Cleveland, Ohio. And you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you've found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. And welcome back. Thanks again to Terry Roan, your 2018 SCA World Champion, 10 grand the richer. Congratulations, Terry. My man won eight. State Cookoff Association events this year. Eight. And highest score ever on his championship stake, his world championship stake. Congratulations. That man can cook a steak now. And I think I pieced it out of him. So try and cook his steak at home on your grill this weekend. See how we're. Hey, I'll give you what I do. Now you have to replicate it, right? That's the old standby that you hear from barbecue competition pitmasters. John Dawson weighing in on an email, subject line, Solomon Dude, three words, egotistical, desperate, wannabe. Uh John, damn, dude. Brutality coming in from Boise. I don't know. I thought he was was pretty aggressive. Uh, You know, in the world of sales, you walk the fine line, so... You can come off one way or the other, depending on who's listening and how they're made up, this, that. You know, being a sales guy by profession, I appreciate the fact that he was kind of figuring out ways to grab uh, grab customers. You might not like that. John obviously thought he was egotistical, desperate, and a wannabe. I don't know about that. All right, let's go ahead and wrap it up. All the way back in the first hour, we talked with Meathead from AmazingRibs.com, and we talked intently and in-depthly about pizza crusts and recipes for crusts, Neapolitan crusts, toppings, cooking implements, temperatures, woods to use. It's a negative on the uni pellet, but he loved the uh, the uni gas. So go back and get that first hour in case you missed it. Then in the second hour, 
Grant Siegel, SolomonFoods.com. Talking about his background in the business, how he got in. Young guy, 23. I mean, come on. And I can't believe it. I'm 20 years older than that. Oh, my God. Closing out the show, Terry Rowan, your 2018 SCA World Champion. 10 grand for that stake. Highest point total in an event. Won eight events. Highest number of wins in a season. There you go. There's your show. Hope you liked it. Potential big show planned for you next week, but there is some jeopardy in it, and it's going to be game time decision. But we'll figure out those hurdles as we get near. I am planning a show for next Tuesday, but there may be a drop last minute. So stay tuned for programming. I'll give you notes and updates as I see fit. September 11th, 2001, I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host, a proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe, saying good night now.